Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gina. And I'm Nicole. And today we are dishing with Elise Resch, co-founder of Intuitive Eating, all about gentle nutrition. But first, since it's been forever and we always do this, Nicole, let's catch up. What's new? Ah, uh, summer's <laughs> ending, school's starting. I'm going to have a preschooler in the public schools. We had orientation for Piper this week. She got to meet her teacher and her little, um, she's got a few new friends. She got to take a bus ride while Mark and I went to the classroom to meet her teacher. It was it was cute. It was a lot of fun. So that was a two-hour orientation on Tuesday oh, night. And then we returned on Wednesday night for um, Shays to meet her teacher outside and they had like a little ice cream social for the first through fifth graders. It's It just feels so weird. I don't know. It's all good. It's all good. We got our bus <laughs> schedule. We've got our student IDs. We've got our supply lists. Um, and then Piper, actually, her very first day of school is her birthday, um, which will have passed by the time the podcast comes out. Uh, so November, um, Nova, oh my gosh, my brain is mushy. Um, <laughs> September 8th is her birthday. Okay. Um, so she's got the phase in schedule, which is not related to COVID, but they say for the younger learners, they bring them in two days um, that first week because we start the week of Labor Day. So she'll go Wednesday, Friday, where Shay oh. will go for the full week. So yeah, we're just transitioning into school. Um, all good there. College football starting. I know you're getting excited for the game tonight. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, go Illini. Uh, we had a Big Ten game. Well, you last week, you guys have one this week. Correct. Which is still a little early, but I Wait, will be this watching. Is so embarrassing! I can't even think of who we're playing. I think Minnesota. I want to say Minnesota. Yeah, okay, Minnesota. <laughs> Gosh, all right. I'm not that excited, truthfully. I'm excited about the games we're going to go to, but I hate eight o'clock games. I'm not going to be able to stay up for it. So, what? Why does it even matter? I'm excited that we're going to win, but I'm probably not going to watch the whole thing. You're funny. Did you see my post on Instagram and Facebook last night about Shay's tooth? I did. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. That was the so she's had thing. these two wiggly teeth and one I thought was going to fall out a couple weeks ago. It's I swear that thing's grown roots. I mean, it's oh. been around so long. It, it's not going anywhere. Oh, this yeah. other one, though, fell out last night and I'm in the shower and Piper comes blasting in the bathroom and she goes, oh, my gosh, Shay's tooth fell out. And, but it's in the toilet and she flushed it. And I was like, <laughs> OK, like I get out. And I still haven't gotten the full scoop on what actually happened. I figured she'd be distraught, but she was cool. I said, well, let's just write the tooth fairy a note. So anyway, you can go check out my Instagram to see the note to the tooth fairy. But she did. She did come. So that was good. Uh, what's new with you guys? Oh, my gosh. Was that her first tooth? No, that was her third. Okay. Third. Okay. Right. Yeah. Paige has lost three teeth as well. Uh, working. I've been working up a storm. I During the first month when our uh, university opens, I have to help in the uh, dining operation. So I am at a retail location this year and we have, we use Grubhub which is the online mobile ordering app. So I am putting together Grubhub orders and then putting them out for students to come pick up. I have been getting on average, I want to say 20,000 steps a day, which my normal is probably 10,000 a day. I don't necessarily religiously track that, but I do know that because it's on my phone. Needless to say, my legs are like jelly. I <laughs> honestly, this is going to sound weird, but when I'm working, I just really love taking potty breaks. I put down some toilet paper and I just sit there <laughs> because it's the only time I have to sit. Oh, it's the best part of my day. But yes, I'm excited for this to be over. Although I have been enjoying it, I will say it's a blessing and a curse. I do. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a food service person. I've, I always love being working in food service. So I very much enjoying it. But the long days till nine o'clock, I'm ready to end those. But yes, we we will. We'll get through this. Uh, Paige is loving school. It's just crazy that you guys aren't starting until next week. Paige has been in school for two weeks now. Wow. And, you know, I was very anxious about her. I was anxious about her anxiety starting school, but she has done superb. Oh, awesome. And she's loving it. Yes. She even, she was nervous about getting school lunch, but I keep telling her, Paige, A, I don't have to pack a lunch if you get the school <laughs> lunch. So please get it. And B, it's free. So she finally got it today because it was uh, cheese pizza and she was nervous. Like, I don't know what to do. Do I have to get in line? Who do I, you know, Aww. who do I talk to? I'm like, Paige, 
you'll be fine. You've just got to follow, you know, follow the leader, ask your teacher, they'll guide you in the right way. And, and she did fine. Okay. This is so random. I have to ask this. Lately, my kids have been getting really mad at me. Okay. I like to laugh. All right. I am a laugher. Things make me laugh pretty easily, especially things that my, that my children do. But have your kids ever done something that you thought was funny or that they were trying to be funny, but in reality, that was just them being them? Oh yeah. And then they get mad. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So there are so many examples, but for example, today Cameron was asked me to help him pick out what piece of candy to have after dinner. He said, can I, should I have this dum-dum or this Hershey, this mini Hershey bar? And I said, the mini Hershey bar. And then he asked Nick and then he said, and last but not least Paige. And I just thought it was the cutest (laughs) thing. So I laughed and he just gets so mad and Paige does too. They get so mad. So I have to learn, train myself just to stay stoic and not laugh or show any show any signs of amusement when they talk basically because they get so mad at me. Do your kids get like that at all? No. They okay. they'll just kind of look at me weird, but they don't get mad. No. Okay. I think if my kids are also sensitive, mood, so sometimes if they're being like fussy, I'll poke yeah. fun at them. That does not that goes over like a turd in a punch bowl, right? But um <laughs> No. I oh I don't gosh. know. Probably. I can't think. Yeah, it just, it's just—it's been happening. So a, it's been happening a lot lately. Paige makes these silly faces, and I think she's like trying to be funny, so I'll laugh, and I think it's funny. And she's like, she said yesterday, oh, "Why does everyone always laugh at my faces?" And it <laughs> made me remember that everyone always used to laugh at my faces too. If any of my friends are listening right now, they know that I just have these weird faces that I make that I don't even realize it, <laughs> and everyone always calls me out on it. But it never bothered me. But mm-hmm. it, it bothers Paige. But she's been blessed with my weird faces, (laughs) my strange, odd, random facial expressions. So yeah, that's the beginning. I'm sure. I know. All right. Well, before we begin, just a quick favor to ask. If you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us and they really help us reach more people. So of course we'd appreciate it so much. All right. I can't believe we are interviewing Elise Resch. So I'm going to read a little bio of Elise's. This is huge, Um, Gina. I know. I know. She's, you know, she changed nutrition. Honestly, yes. If it wasn't for her, I don't know where I'd be. Now, maybe someone else would have come up. And here's the thing. And she didn't create intuitive eating, right? Like we are all born intuitive eaters, but they put it in writing and they made it a thing. And they they sort of turned diets upside down, you know? And I just ah appreciate, appreciate it so much. The whole anti-diet movement, they were the impetus for that. So Elise Resch, she's been a private practice uh, in Beverly Hills as a nutrition therapist for 32 years, specializing in intuitive eating and the treatment of eating disorders. And I will say, I think I treated, I know, I treated my eating disorder using intuitive eating, but I didn't really even know it. Maybe we can do a whole episode on that. So Elise is a co-author of Intuitive Eating. Uh, uh, There's, I think, four editions now, 1995, 2003, 2020, and of course, recently in 2020, I'm sorry, 2012, and recently in 2020, the fourth edition, and the audiobook, Intuitive Eating. Elise has published journal articles and does regular speaking engagements and press interviews. She's a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and was the treatment uh, team nutritionist on the eating disorder unit at Beverly Hills Medical Center. She's a fellow of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, a fellow of the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, a member of the Advisory Council for Normal which is a nonprofit female athlete triad awareness and participates in professional organizations and activities that revolve around prevention and healing of eating disorders. All right, let's go ahead and bring on Elise Resch. All right, well, we are here with uh, Elise Resch and we are so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us from California. Uh, Well, thank you for inviting me. It's 6.30 here. What does that make it there? 3.30. 3.30. Okay. So the day yeah. is young. <laughs> well, mm. yes. Thank you again. Um, so just, just to kind of start off the podcast, the interview, we'd like to know, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? We know who you are. Uh, we know uh-huh. that you are the co-founder of Intuitive Eating, but what do you do on a day-to-day basis? And what are some <laughs> things that you enjoy outside of intuitive eating? <laughs> Well, okay. So I love my work and I do that 
five days a week. I see clients. Uh, actually, I've been seeing them from home on Zoom or FaceTime uh, for the last year and a half because of the pandemic. I still have a wonderful office. and I just renewed my lease and I haven't been there in a year and a half. But uh, So I'm, I'm seeing clients some days all day long and some days just part of the day. Uh, I do uh, a lot of podcasts and I have been writing for mm, it's about six years. And fortunately, at the moment, there's a lull in that and I hope it's going to stay that way. Uh, I've had about five publications in the last six years. So oh, wow. that's my work, uh, my work life. Outside of work, uh, I, <laughs> I have a very favorite new activity that I hadn't done in many, many years, which is jigsaw puzzles. Mm. I know you're probably going to laugh at that, but no. they are so wonderful. You're in good so, company. We're total nerds. Are. We love puzzles. We do. <laughs> oh, good. Well, do you have a puzzle board? Do you know what a puzzle board is? No. No, I bet. Oh, uh -oh. this is the best invention in the world. It's a board that has four little drawers, two on each side. You put the puzzle on the board, and then when you want to use the table, you just pick it up and put it under the couch or under the coffee table, and it's wonderful. Nice. Well, that's what kept me from doing them. I didn't have any place to do them, and now it's like, this is great. But I yeah. find it really meditative, um, and my mom, I stay very present, and it's a real nice respite from all the thinking I have to do in other ways. I certainly have to think when you're doing a puzzle, but it's a different, different kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. So I do that. I, uh, I've really gotten into television in this last year and a half. There's <laughs> been some wonderful shows and I do a lot of reading. I actually have a, I'm standing in my little sitting room in my house, which is where my office is at home. And I have a bookshelf devoted to all the hardcover books I've read this year and they're just, it keeps growing. So reading has, I've always loved reading. It's been a, uh, a retreat for me. It's been salvation for me my entire life. And during the pandemic, it's just bloomed. So yeah. I do that. I used to go to theater all the time. I had tickets for about four different venues here in LA, but of course I haven't done that in all this time. Mm -hmm. I love to go out to dinner. I do that very rarely and I do it only outside and hard to eat with a mask on. So you have to be pretty careful. Uh, see, I think that kind of covers it. I, I move my body. I love to take walks and, you know, and do movement. I'm not an athlete and never have been, but uh, that's a big part of my life. And I meditate. Um, not long, but a little bit every day. Oh, nice. I don't know if I can remember anything else. But if you have questions, go ahead. It's nice to get to know you better. I, Gina and I both love to read, Ooh, not to put you too much on the spot, but what is a top book or two in the past year that you've read? Well, there's different there's different categories. I've read a lot of the um, <clears throat> anti-racist books, which have been really important to me, mm -hmm. uh, like uh, So You Want to Talk About uh, Race was one of the one of the best ones I read. And then um, Fearing the black, fearing the black body, the racial origins of fat phobia was mm -hmm. really important. And then I just finished reading. Um, what do we say when we talk about fat? Which was another amazing book that I think everyone should say. It's like what I, I can't. I don't know if that's the exact title in the books downstairs. Uh, but that's that's a fantastic book. Those are kind of nonfiction books that I've been reading that are wonderful. And then uh, fiction, I love little mysteries. And so I read the last thing he said, which mm -hmm. is great. And oh gosh, <laughs> there was another one that I absolutely read with, I loved, but I can't remember the name now. And it's not on my shelf because I lent it out. Um, if I think of it later, I'll tell you. So I love books that give me something to uh, be excited about and wonder about. And then of course at the end of the book and I know what the answer to the question is, who did it? Uh, or, you know, what is the outcome? If there's a little bit of a letdown. It's like, Oh, now I know. So what's the next book? I'm, going to <laughs> I'm the same way. Absolutely. And I can't wait to hear, but then when I do, I'm sad that it's over. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, oh. right. That's, the that's other book was, that I was thinking about, I know that the, the author's name was Carola uh, Levering. And 
left me the name of it, but that's the author. So her latest book is great. Well, if you think of it, let us know. Yeah, I will. Well, if you could, can you share a bit about uh, back in 1994, kind of the impetus for intuitive eating and how did you and Evelyn meet? Well, yes. So I've been in private practice. It's almost 40 years now. So I had been in practice well before that time. I started in 1982. And uh, I had no intention of working in that realm. And I'm going to put it in quotes, weight management. I had no interest in that. I was trained at a facility, a clinic uh, affiliated with Children's Hospital Los Angeles, working with developmentally disabled kids and running their feeding clinic. And I worked there for a while after my year traineeship. And I actually thought that that was going to be my career, but it just didn't happen. Um, I just didn't get the referrals for that. There's a, I guess, a a state facility that refers and I wasn't getting the referrals or if I was, they didn't want to pay me and it just didn't work out. Instead, I started getting referrals from a lot of uh, physicians. And what, of course, did they want me to do? Help people lose weight. (laughs) And I wasn't going to do that. Uh, That was the underlying uh, reason they sent me. They would say that the person had high cholesterol or high blood pressure or high blood sugar, but really they wanted me to help them lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I was very unhappy. I didn't like what I was doing. And I didn't know what to do, actually, because in graduate school, we uh, we weren't really taught about how to counsel people in, you know, in eating. And all we were taught was to give out meal plans with exchanges from the diabetic exchange list. And it just never felt right. And I would always say to clients, this is not a diet. This is not for weight loss. This is just to help you kind of get regulated or whatever. But they were diets and they were mm-hmm. absolutely diets. And people had to keep track of their food every day and report back to me. And in fact, they would lose weight and come in and be happy and think I was the best nutritionist in town and then go away and come back and tell me that they were complete failures because they gained weight weight back. And this was very frustrating to me because I just didn't understand what was going on. And I remember one day, this really stood out for me, I was counseling a young woman who was describing what we would call now binge eating and she couldn't follow her meal plan. And I didn't know how to help her. I didn't, I didn't know. So at the same time, I was doing a lot of psychological, um, well, my own therapy and studying a lot of psychology and started to understand what was going on with telling people what to do and how that would elicit their, you know, their inner teenager and rebel and they couldn't do it. Or they would elicit that part of them that wanted to get approval if they did things perfectly the same time, some of the early um, non-diet approach was coming out. Well, I think one of the earliest books I ever read was Susie Orbach's uh, book, Fat is a Feminist Issue. I did a lot of feminist reading at that time. I actually went through the second wave of feminism and was very much involved in uh, a lot of that literature. But uh, I think it was Susie Orbach's book that really got me to start thinking more deeply. And then... Um, Hirschman and Munter wrote a book called Overcoming Overeating, and I happened to stumble upon it. And it was the first time that I read something that said, let people eat whatever they want to eat, essentially. And it caused a lot of different feelings inside of me. One of them was, wow, this is amazing. Now, let me just say, I'd had my own eating disorder. I'd had my own dieting and binging, you know, as a result of it. And the thought of eating whatever you wanted to eat was exhilarating and pretty terrifying, especially because I was a dietitian and I was supposed to help people learn how to have better nutrition. Most of this is in quotes right now. And the idea of telling them just to eat whatever you, whatever you want was very troublesome. But I think what saved me was the psychology when I really started to understand the impact of deprivation psychologically. And the, as I said earlier, the impact of taking away a person's autonomy by telling them what to eat or how much to eat or when to eat. So I thought, I'm going to write a book about this. I don't think, you know, there's any book written by a dietitian. And I sat down at my computer and I outlined some things and got some chapter headings and 
think I was going to call the book the Tao of Pooh, T-A-O, because I was very intrigued with Taoism and how it's all about letting things just happen naturally and not trying to control them. That obviously didn't happen. Well, at the same time as I was doing this, Evelyn, my co-author, Evelyn Triboli, her office is an hour away south of where I live and where my office is. And she would come up to LA once a week to see uh, a couple of clients, I think, that she had up here. And so she was using some space in my office. And that's how we met each other. So I knew she had written a book. um, And one day I uh, saw her, we were walking down the hall, you know, opposite each other. And she seemed to be a little upset about something. And I said, Evelyn, what's wrong? And she said, I'm so frustrated. I'm trying to write this book with a psychologist and she doesn't know how to write. And I just had this moment, this, you know, like light bulb went off. And I said, Evelyn, I'll write the book with you. Because when she said it was a psychologist and I was so deeply involved in psychological, you know, concepts, I thought I can do that. I don't have to be a psychologist to do that. I understand psychology. So we came together and she had, she had, some ideas, obviously, because she had started writing a book, and we collaborated at that point uh, as the first dietitians ever to write a book that uh, showed why diets didn't work. It was the first non-diet book. Of course, now we call it anti-diet. So that's how it began. In 19, about 1993, I would say, because it takes two years to get a book published, and the first edition came out in '95. I still have my mom's copy that she has from 1994. Oh. It was the first one I read, actually. I was pretty young when I read it. Uh, I don't, I mean, as in maybe high school. Um, but yeah. I well, I would say throw it away because <laughs> I know it's changed I, quite a bit. Oh, it's changed so much. And um, there are things that we wrote in there. We, we weren't enlightened in the way we are now. I mean, this is, yeah. gosh, going on, you know, 25 to 30 years ago. Uh, so our consciousness wasn't where it is today. And there were some things in there that actually gave the impression that the book was about, well, not that it necessarily said it was about weight loss, but we said, find your natural weight and people Mm -hmm. interpreted it as weight loss. And that is absolutely not something we would, we would do today or would want in a book today. So, uh, I suggest people throw out the first edition. Even the second edition, because the second edition, which came out, uh, I think, in 2003, um, it was really just the first edition with just one chapter on eating disorders tacked onto it. So get rid of them. The third edition is much better, but the fourth edition, it's the best. That's the one that just came out last year. I know. And I anyway, I, I won't talk about it, but I don't have that one yet. But anyway. I'll get it. I'll oh, get it you days. need to have it because I it's know. so, it, you know, it's it's so changed. And we are both humble. We both have a lot of self-compassion for the fact that you can only do what you can do, know what you can know at the time. And, you know, growth is about understanding where the mistakes are, understanding where things could be reframed and going with that rather than being stuck back in <laughs> that first edition. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about the book. We really wanted to focus actually uh, several months ago, we had someone write in and they said that they wanted us to do a whole episode on honoring your health with gentle nutrition. That's when I reached out to you. Uh, uh-huh. So can you just briefly describe this? I will tell you, this is the one that I have the most difficulty with because as a dietitian for the longest time, this is what I solely focused on. And I'm trying uh-huh. to sort of spin it in a different way the intuitive eating way versus the, you need to get this, this, and this, and this is how much, mm-hmm. and this, you know, so it's, it's difficult, but you know, the, obviously the book helps a lot, but can you briefly describe what gentle nutrition is? Well, first of all, I want to say that in all the books on intuitive eating, and there are a number of them out now, I mean, the ones that either Evelyn wrote or I wrote, or we wrote together, uh, gentle nutrition is always the last chapter. It's extremely important that that be out of people's minds uh, until they go through the process of making peace with food and um, looking at the way they talk to themselves about food and what people say to them about food and uh, starting to tune into the satisfaction and which comes with eating with a nice appetite and stopping with comfortable fullness and learning how to respect the body and 
and really starting to understand the thoughts that lead us to some of the emotions that we have that connect with food. So that's the first thing I want to say. So anybody who is <coughs> starting an intuitive eating process, you need to forget about gentle nutrition in the beginning. So when you finally go through the whole process and you're really healing from diet culture and uh, very attuned to your own inner wisdom, that's the point where you start to really look at how you feel. Um, wow, a client will say to me, you know, I'm just, uh, I haven't eaten a piece of fruit or a, veg or eaten a vegetable in so long because now I get to eat all these other things that I didn't get to eat. But you know what? I don't feel very well. My GI tract isn't working very well. So that opens the door to a conversation with me as the dietitian to help the person understand how certain foods might help their GI tract. Um, other people might say, well, I've been eating uh, a pastry for breakfast every day because I can. And you know what? My blood sugar just crashes and I just all I want to do is go to sleep an hour later. Help me, Elise. And that's when I can explain that if you have um, you know, a more balanced breakfast, if you have some protein and some fat and some carbohydrates and maybe some fiber, that's going to keep your blood sugar fairly even until you get some gentle hunger coming in a few hours later. So gentle nutrition is really uh, connected to how your body feels and how to choose foods for your optimal, uh, certainly satisfaction, but for your optimal uh, well-being in terms of feeling good. And it's, it's so interesting if a lot of intuitive eating, or I would say one of the foundations of intuitive eating is based on Toddler studies where our toddlers who are given a wide array of foods, all kinds of different foods, uh, when you let them eat whatever they want to eat, at the end of a week, they get all the nutrition that they need, as long as they're not being pushed to eat certain foods or told not to eat other foods. And so we know that that wisdom is within us. I know it very you know, profoundly, uh, the wisdom of how, how do I feel when I eat in a, a certain way? How do I feel if I... Uh, don't eat for a long period of time? How do I feel if I'm eating without an appetite? What kinds of foods sustain me? What kinds of foods make me feel good? And what kinds of foods don't feel good in my body? So that's really what gentle nutrition is. And that's how it um, correlates with all of the intuitive eating signals. So it's not about what you should eat. It's not about anything like that. It's about um, teaching people if they want to learn what the different types of foods are and how they affect their body. So <laughs> I want to say one more thing about this. There's such a misconception out in the world that what we eat and how we move uh, is the main determinant of, of health. Mm. People just think that all the time. Well, you have to eat a certain way and you have to get the right balance and you have to get the you know right amount of vitamins and minerals and you yada, yada, yada. And you have to exercise these many t times a week and that will make you healthy. But if you look at research, you will actually find that only 10 to 20%, depending on the study you look at, of your health is determined by how you eat and how you move your body. And the other 80 to 90% of um, what determines your health is it's called social, social determinants of health. So that includes access to food, access to a variety, access to enough food access to a variety of foods, access to medical care, access to education, access to secure housing, access to a social you know, group that you can trust. Um, and how much are you living in your life with oppression for many different um, differences that one lives with? Because all of these other factors, and there are more, they are the ones that determine your stress levels because if you don't have secure housing, you don't have secure food, you don't, you can't get to a doctor, you don't have a, you know, a medical plan, you don't have access to um, all the things that we need to make us happy in life, you're stressed out. And that stress is the biggest determinant of health because if you're walking around with chronic stress, your cortisol levels are sky high, which is implicated in, uh, you know, inflammation and a number of diseases. 
Yeah. So I've just that, said a lot. <laughs> no, that was so good. And, and that was a, a lot of what was in the the Health at Every Size Body Respect book by by Lindo Bacon. I know she talked a lot or they talked a lot about that in, in their book, which I really appreciated because honestly, I'd never I'm I'm naive. I'm naive when it comes to that. And that was a really, a really great book that um, was on my list for last year from in my covid reading frenzy that I got to read. Yes. And I just learned a lot about that. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, but sort of on that same note, and like you said, many of us are preoccupied with healthy eating. Generally, it's because of diet culture or other alarmist things we read about diet and disease, making us think that we have to move a certain amount or eat a certain amount. One of my favorite lines, and I think it was edition three, it might be edition four, but from the book, it said, our preoccupation with food is worse than a bad diet. And that sort of goes, is similar to what you were just saying about how it's actually stress. Now you were saying it's from... So, you know, the determinants of health, but also just stress of all the things that we're thinking about when it comes to eating and being healthy, being preoccupied with what we put in our mouths. So can you kind of describe that, that quote a little bit? Well, sure. And I think um, it is uh, very relevant in looking at orthorexia, which is an eating disorder. Maybe that's not diagnosed yet in the DSM-5, but it is an eating disorder where people are really nervous all the time about what they put in their bodies and they're trying to put the highest and again in quotes quality food or the highest amount of nutrients uh, or trying to eliminate certain foods that they've heard are bad uh, at with the purpose of trying to control their health and the irony of that is that uh, the more that they're worrying about it, stressed out about it that's the damage that's done is that uh, this preoccupation and whether it's a diet, which is really geared toward weight loss or whether it's uh, <laughs> the wellness world, which is also really geared toward weight loss. Always. Um, always. It's, uh, it's a stressor that is consistent and constant in a person's life when they're trying to live that way. They never have the freedom to just eat something that somebody offers them. Oh, here's this cookie I just made. Oh, no, I can't have that because it's got, you know, whatever in it that I shouldn't be eating. And they're stressed all the time and worried about their health. And so um, it is so much more dangerous to be worried about it. And it's so much, uh, quote, unquote, healthier mentally. And we have to look at health as a mental and a physical you know, state to trust yourself, to know that if you uh, really listen, you're going to get pretty much everything you need. And that even if you don't, it's not going to have that much impact on your health. Right. Mm -hmm. Hate to say it after so many years mm -hmm. of learning about nutrition, it's probably one of the <laughs> least important things. <laughs> well, it's important only in the aspect of how your body feels. I mean, yes, I probably, you know, if you, you probably are too young to remember who Jiminy Cricket is, but <laughs> oh no, we <laughs> so, know that. Yeah. Oh, you know, us. so if you followed mm -hmm. me around, if you put, you know, like Jiminy Cricket on my shoulder uh -huh. and watch the way I ate, uh, you would say, wow, you eat a lot of you know, nutritious food and you certainly eat however, whatever plate food you want to eat. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there's no question that having a sufficient amount of carbohydrate, that's the key, and a sufficient amount of protein, a sufficient amount of fat and the fiber and the water and all that, you're going to just feel better if you have all that. If you start eliminating any one of those things, you're just not going to feel well. Yeah, I know for some, it's it's hard to get past the idea that it's it's best not to have rules or restrictions around making food choices. A line in, in the book is, quote, eating restraint is associated with weight gain. Uh, but many find themselves thinking that if they don't have any restraint, that they're going to eat crap, or they imagine that there's no way to have a nutritious diet without creating certain rules and having a plan. How do you respond to concerns like that? Sure. Because um, it is the biggest concern that people have. So let's look at rules and let's look at the teen within each of us. Uh, teenagers, if you go back to that developmental stage, they don't like rules. They don't like to be told what to do. So they will often find ways to break the rules, sometimes in a more serious way and sometimes in a less serious way. Well, each of us has within us um, our teen. I, I'm pretty old and I've got my very active teen in me and also an active little kid. Teen, toddler, toddler, toddlers also, their favorite word is no. 
They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to hear that it's time to go to bed or to take a bath or whatever. So um, what I like to say to people, uh, first of all, is that somebody who creates a rule externally telling you what to do and they'll say, well, no, but I created my own rule. Well, where did you get that rule from? Diet culture. So it was really, you know, uh, it really originated out there in the world and you just took it in. Uh, So anytime we create rules or take in rules, eventually we're going to break them if we have healthy egos. In fact, the sign of a a healthy ego is somebody who can't stay on a diet. I have clients who come in my office and say, I'm such a failure at dieting. And I go, no, 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 you are a success at ego development because you are not going to be told what to do. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is something called habituation, which is, is a very important concept that helps calm people and as they practice intuitive eating they see it in action and and what it means habituation is the greater the stimulus the less the response so when you make peace with all foods when you make all foods what i like to call emotionally equivalent meaning you don't feel good about yourself for eating broccoli and bad about yourself for eating a piece of apple pie or or something when all foods elicit the same emotional reaction from you yummy, or maybe I don't like it, but it's not about a moral issue, you're being good or bad. When you make peace with all foods, you take away the forbiddenness, you take away that thrill of eating something that you've told yourself or someone has told you not to eat. So it's anything in life that we don't get very often or we are forbidden from having as a heightened excitement. But once you take away that excitement and know that you can eat what you want for the rest of your life, whenever you want it, things really start to settle down and people habituate to the taste of certain foods. It's you eat the same thing day after day. And I will often say to a client or ask a client, what's your favorite play food? And they might say a hot fudge sundae or they might say cheesecake or something that, um, they don't think they should be eating. And I'll say, sure, go out and eat it. Have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day this week. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, and I say, well, well, what's the problem? Well, I wouldn't want to have it every day, you know, for every meal. And I'll go, well, bingo, bingo. Because when we have something that's fully allowed and we have it regularly, it just loses its kick. It's just not as exciting. And so knowing that you can have it again anytime you want, there's not that urgency to keep eating everything in sight. I have a very good friend who is always, I've known her for 35 years, and she says, I don't know, if I ate intuitively, all I do is eat steak all the time. I said, well, try it. (laughs) I think you're going to start craving a salad or something, you know, something else as well with it. Um, Baked potato would be a good thing with a steak. So uh, habituation is so important. And, you know, this is the way it is in life, too. Think about it. If all you did was vacation, if you never had to work, you were always on vacation. It wouldn't be as exciting as looking forward to that time. I just got back from Maui, by the way, a week or so ago. And looking forward to the uh, time away and the relaxation. And then you come back and you do the work one hopes that you love. And you look forward to the next time you get to go away and do something. So People can be habituated to almost anything uh, when you do it too much, including any food. Yeah, and it all kind of comes back to the reason why you make the the gentle nutrition the tenth principle, right? So ostensibly, right. by then, by the time you get to that tenth principle, you've given yourself that unconditional permission to eat. And it's not pseudo permission; it's unconditional Correct. permission. Unconditional. So then you have that. Yeah, you can listen to your body's cues. You know that maybe you need some fruits and vegetables, whole grains, and you allow mm-hmm. that to fit. So, yeah, I think it all makes sense. And this calm, this calms people down, but they don't believe me. It calms <laughs> them down for the moment. So that's why they have to go out and actually practice this. And yeah. I am not someone who says just go get everything you've always forbidden and put it in your cupboards. That's overwhelming and scary. Mm-hmm. So I do it kind of food by food. Let's try something that you have spent a lot of years not allowing or spent a lot of years eating and feeling bad about, let's do it with complete freedom and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, inevitably after a while, it's like, okay, yeah, I like it. I didn't, I actually don't like as much as I thought I did when I wasn't allowed to eat it. 
And um, yeah, I know I can always have it. So I don't really need it every minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mine was peanut butter. I mm. restricted it. Oh, so, and it's my favorite. I absolutely love peanut butter, but mm. I wouldn't allow myself to have it. And of course, whenever I was around it, I was uncontrolled. I would eat it uncontrollably to the point where I would get sick. Uh, and, and now I still eat peanut butter. I eat it quite often actually, but I have a much healthier relationship with it and I, and I actually enjoy it more. So Well, and you know that you want your body to feel good, too. You want to enjoy your peanut butter and Mm -hmm. you want to feel good. So if that's, you know, if you're eating it in the way you had been eating it, you're not getting really the most enjoyment because you're not feeling Mm -hmm. very well. Yeah. And I'd eat it so fast. I didn't even have time to, you know, savor it. So, So, you know, intuitive eating a huge part of it is you guys are talking about are these internal cues to kind of guide us along our way um, versus, you know, on how much and what to eat uh, versus kind of relying on external cues such as it's 12 p.m. It must be lunchtime. Here I go. Is it realistic to think people will naturally have the internal desire for foods such as fruits, vegetables, even when they've given themselves unconditional permission to eat all foods? Well, it starts with, did they ever like them well before they were um, trying to, um, you know, just eat them for a diet purpose? Well, did you ever really love that food? And if somebody has a history of loving a certain food, uh, eventual or foods, eventually, eventually, and that's the key word, they will absolutely crave those foods. I remember I was, um, I was in the Soviet Union, which is, you'll know how long ago that was, because that broke down. I was there in 1989, and before it broke apart. And for, I believe it was two and a half weeks, I did not have a salad. I did not have anything fresh. When I got home, that's all I wanted to eat were, you know, salads and fruits and vegetables, and because I hadn't had them before. So I think part of it depends on what is the meaning of those foods in your life. And sometimes it takes people a very long time to allow themselves to eat an apple or to eat a salad because they've thought of it as diet food and they're against dieting and they're not going to diet now and they don't want to look at another, you know, apple or egg white omelet or whatever it is they were eating (laughs) on their diets. Um, So it's, it's really individualized. And there are some people who just don't have a preference for a lot of different foods. They're very selective in their eating and they may not crave it. However, gentle nutrition, there might come a point in their lives where they say, well, I'm not craving it, but I realize I would feel better if I added some vegetables and fruit, for example, if we're just using those right now. And so they consciously take it in. And I want to clarify something right now. This brings up something very important that's very well misunderstood in the world. Intuitive eating is not just instinct. It's not just my body knows and all I have to do is listen to my body and it will guide me 100% of the time. Intuitive eating is is a dynamic interplay of instinct, that's one piece, emotion, another piece, and thought. And this is based on the development of the brain way back in history when there were only dinosaurs roaming the world. Uh, they had one level of brain function, and that was the primitive brain or what we call the reptilian brain, which is the survival part of the brain. It was the part of the brain instinct that gave them that instinct to go and eat so that they could stay alive. Well, they didn't stay alive forever, did they? But uh, And then uh, when mammals evolved, another layer of brain functioning came about, and that's called the mammalian or the limbic brain. And that's the emotional part of the brain. And that sits on top of this matrix of the reptilian brain, which, by the way, we all still have. I mean, that stayed. That didn't go away. And that's at the top of the brainstem. And uh, above that and around it is the limbic part, which or mammalian, which is the seat of emotions and social behaviors. That has a huge impact, emotions and social behaviors, on our eating. And we want to keep that in mind and have respect for that part and then eventually what differentiates us as humans is the neocortex and that's where the thinking happens that's the rational part of the brain so the example i just gave you about the person who's really never liked fruits and vegetables and realizes you know they want to know more a little more about what will help them feel good a little bit more about nutrition 
they might decide, you know what, I'm going to find a fruit or a vegetable that is okay. I'm going to make it like vegetables. I'll make it in a way that tastes good. I'll put butter and salt and cheese on it so it can taste good because I want to feel better. I want my GI tract to work better. So that's coming from the cognitive part of the brain. So there is thinking involved. Uh, also, if, well, I'll give you an example. I was not going to take off my double masks on the airplane when I went away. And that meant no eating or drinking for a very long period of time. So I, cognitively, it was get as much food as I can get in me before I leave uh, to sustain me until I can get where I'm going and eat again. So you see, that's not that's just something critical. So true. And and I, I do the same thing. I've been working a long, long shifts at work lately where I know I will get no break. And I always tell myself, okay, I know I'm not going to get a break and I'm going to get hungry. What can I eat now that is more than probably what I actually need at this moment? Um, so yeah, very, very good uh, example there. I, I like that. That's I do, I do tend to forget that. I, I focus so much on the instinct part of it, but you're right. Emotion and thought play a, a huge role as well. So thank you for that reminder. Um, so one of the lines in, again, I, I probably, I, I think I took this from the third edition, but it says in matters of taste, consider nutrition. And in matters of nutrition, consider taste. I've always underlined that, that line and just really love it. Can you just talk about that and how that might help people who are struggling to make nutritious choices? without thinking of all the quote unquote nutrition rules? Well, it has to start again with having uh, a focus on satisfaction. I mentioned that for a moment earlier. We really want to give ourselves that joy of eating, that joy and pleasure and satisfaction in our meals. So um, if you're eating something because you think it will, well, just what I mentioned before about putting the cheese and the salt and the butter on the um, on the vegetables, if you're eating something because you think you should eat it for better nutrition, but it doesn't taste good to you, it's not satisfying, you're not really having very good self-care. So that's that part that says in matters of nutrition, think about taste. Is that how it was written? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so you have to really ask yourself, does this really taste good? And then in I, I'm a little uncomfortable with the first part of it. <laughs> even though it's in the book, um, in uh -huh. terms of taste, think about nutrition. I would rather say, in terms of taste, think about how your body feels. And that will lead you to what you need to eat. I kind of took of it took it as, that's just a really good way to wrap up balance. I mean, you don't always have to consider what's nutritious about this thing that I'm enjoying mm -hmm. that's tasty. But it's just kind of a general guideline. I mean, for example, sometimes if I make myself an ice cream sundae, I'll just throw on some blueberries because I mean, I love blueberries and berries on my Sunday, but you know, I'm, I'm considering some nutrition here. Not that I always do or feel the need to, that I have to, but I think it's just kind of a good tagline, I guess. I, I, well, I, I don't know. I think that's, yeah, that's what we were talking about with gentle nutrition. When you're at yeah. that point where you're not having any qualms about having the ice cream Sunday and you think, yeah, you know, I haven't had some fruit today. Blueberries would taste good. See, there's the, mm -hmm. would it be satisfying? And it will give me some nutrition. Uh, there was a point, oh, a number of years ago when I realized I'm not eating very many vegetables. Uh, I'm at the office all the time and I'm getting home too late to make them. And I made a concerted effort to make sure on the weekend that I roasted some vegetables, made them taste delicious and brought them with me. That's exactly what you're ta we're talking about is... Mm -hmm. um, nutrition as a way of taking care of ourselves and feeling better, but not being the only thing we think about. Right. Right. And, and I think of other examples for, I'll make something tasty for dinner, like mac and cheese out of the pressure cooker. How can I, how can I add a little bit more nutrition to this? I'll add some peas to it. Cause then my, my kids will probably eat it more because it has the peas in it. And I love peas. Uh -huh. So I think that's kind of how I, how I think of it. Or maybe if I want dessert at night, I think to myself, okay, have I had any dairy today? I, I really uh -huh. haven't. I don't eat a lot of dairy. So maybe I'll have ice cream instead of a cookie. So does it make me, doesn't mean that I'm choosing my dessert based on rules. I'm just trying to create some balance. So that's how I look at it. Well, you're in gentle nutrition. Um, you see, you 
gone through all the other nine right. principles and you're a full-blown intuitive <laughs> eater and you're at that point of saying, yeah, I want to take care of myself. And I do hear that there's some benefit to having, you know, some some vegetables, fruits, dairy, all the different components. So, okay, I'll throw it in. And that's exactly, that example is exactly what gentle nutrition is. It sums it up. Great. <laughs> now we can end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just okay. a couple more questions. Um, I have found that as I get deeper into my journey with intuitive eating, I truthfully no longer look at food labels. I just, I don't. And it's funny too, because mm -hmm. my job, I work for a university and I actually create the food labels for all of the dining services food. But I, I never look at food labels. I could honestly mm -hmm. care less about them. And I also realize I'm privileged to say that because I don't have diabetes. I don't have to wash okay. my sodium, but yes, I don't okay. look at food labels. Um, I do know that not everyone agrees with that. There are a lot of people I know for various reasons who look at food labels, even without a chronic condition. Can you still be an intuitive eater and look at food labels? Well, you know, it's not an all or nothing answer or question. Yeah. Um, your examples were perfect. I mean, if you have high blood pressure and you're trying to follow or lower sodium diet to avoid medication you're walking more, you're having more calcium, that DASH diet, I think it's called. Uh, so I think it might be helpful to notice the sodium content of something and say, whoa, there's a, you know, a lot of sodium in that. I, I don't think I'm going to choose that. I'll choose this other one that might taste just as good, but not have as much. I think it's problematic when you don't have one of those conditions and you're checking all the time of how many carbs, how many you know, how much protein, how many grams of sugar, how, whatever is in it. I think it just takes you away from really uh, enjoying the food and asking yourself, did it satisfy me? How did my body feel? So is there someone who's a full-blown intuitive eater who looks at, at labels all the time? Uh, that's iffy. I don't think they're fully, fully there. I think they're, they may be mostly there. But if you still need to read the labels to decide whether this is something you're going to eat, I mean, why read a label uh, unless you're thinking, well, I'm not going to eat this. My example of the sodium is one thing that's a medical condition. But if you don't have that condition, well, why are you reading it? Why do you need to know? <laughs> it's like people say, well, the, the you know, bread, the, a serving size is one piece of bread. So you know, I shouldn't eat more than that. And so they're looking at a label and they're making a conclusion. That's not even what a serving means, by the way. They should just say a unit if they're going to say anything because it implies to people what they're the amount they're supposed to have, yes. which yes. doesn't connect to what you need. You, can, you know, it's hard to make a nice sandwich with one piece of bread. Everything falls off. So, <laughs> you know, so I, um, I think the answer is I doubt that that person's fully, you know, fully there if they're needing to look at the labels all the time. Yeah. I was just thinking as you were talking and, and I think, I can't remember what the principle is called, but it's about, you know, respecting your body. Maybe that's what mm -hmm. the principle is called. That's what it's anyway. called. Respect your body. That, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, and I remember there was an example that you, that you gave about how it's good, a good, a good thing to do might be if you're going to try on some new clothes, let's say you're going to going shopping instead of putting all the clothes on in front of the mirror, put them on and see how you feel in them. And then if you like the way you feel in them, then look at how you, how you look. And then that's kind of secondary. And hmm. I just thought of that as maybe, do you remember writing that? Did I, <laughs> did I botch that or did that no, make you any didn't sense? Botch it. Go ahead. Go ahead. It <laughs> okay. Okay. Sense. So I was thinking of it in terms of labels, maybe a suggestion might be, you know, choose a food that you want based on taste and, you know, how you think it's going to fit into your, you know, balanced eating or how, your diet for the day. And, and then secondary, if you've just made the decision, then look at the label, you know, if it's, whoa, so much sodium, it's okay. You're going to be fine. Just maybe choose something a little bit less sodium for dinner, you know? Maybe just make it a secondary, a secondary um, action versus just the number one uh, predictor of, of what you, and how much you're going to eat, perhaps? Well, I mean, the question is, if you not, don't have a medical condition, um, why are you worrying about it? Taste it. Maybe it tastes right. too salty and you'll choose not to buy it because uh, I find that I'm very sensitive to salt and food. So it, I don't have to look at a label to see that it's really, really salty. Uh, yeah. I don't know. No, I'm with you. I don't. I, don't, I never look at labels. I, I just don't think the two can blend. But not that if anyone yeah. out there is looking at labels, that means you're not an intuitive eater. It's just 
maybe just something to think right. about. Like why, why? Well, are you and, and, and I don't judge anyone. I mean, whatever you need to do, you need to do. You just want to see how is it impacting you? Is it taking you away from your intuitive signals or is it helping you get further to them? Uh, I have no judgment of anyone in their journey at all. Beginning to end. <laughs> and there's no end. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. It is a journey forever, a lifelong journey. All right. So now this is the end, the last question. And I'm excited to hear about this. What are some new and exciting things that you and Evelyn have for intuitive eaters and those hoping to begin or continue their intuitive eating journey? Well, yes. Very exciting. So this year in June, came out, uh, two publications came out. One of them I wrote personally. It's the Intuitive Eating Journal. Um, it is the subtitle is Your Guided Journey for Nourishing a Healthy Relationship with Food. And I love it. I, I just love this book. It's a real little baby of mine because it gives lots of room for contemplation and reflection and lots of places to write. And it's a, it's a cute book. <laughs> and okay. uh, then Evelyn and I created the Intuitive Eating Card Deck, which I like to explain to people uh, or, or illustrate that it's kind of like a tarot card deck where you're just okay. picking out a card just without having to go through it, you know, A to Z. And that's the card that maybe will be helpful for you to be thinking about that day in terms of intuitive eating. So that is 50 bite-sized ways to make peace with food. And so the, all the intuitive eating principles are in there, and each of the 10 has about five cards. It might be a, one that has six and one that has four, but they're mostly five cards per principle. And uh, people love it. They just love it because it doesn't feel, well, some, for some people who just are tired of reading, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very quick and easy way to remind themselves about one of the intuitive eating principles. I don't know if that would be helpful to be the first you know, experience with intuitive eating, because it's, it's hard to learn what intuitive eating is in that, you know, those little bites. Uh, the other book that, which is not this last year, but it came out two years ago was my uh, intuitive eating workbook for teens. And again, it's another little baby I gave birth to, which I love because not only did I gear it toward teens and use teen language in it, I geared it toward the teen in each of us. And what I had said earlier is I think each of us has their teen um, active inside. And for so many of my adult clients, they love to go through the activities in that book and it brings them back to their teen years when they actually began their eating disorder or their disordered eating or their dieting or whatever. And th there's been a lot of healing going back in time with that. And then of course, last year, I'm kind of jumping around, but last year in 2020, that was 2019 and 2020 uh, was the intuitive eating uh, fourth edition. And that was last year. And it's out in audio as well. Oh, so. great. So going back to the card decks, you you mm -hmm. suggest first reading the book and then using the, the card decks, correct? Yeah. You know, it depends. Some people, it's best to just listen to the book. For some mm -hmm. people, reading the teen book, they get, I go into pretty good detail about each of the principles, but not to the depth that the book goes into and not doesn't talk about all the studies which are reported in the book. We have over 140 studies validating intuitive eating as an evidence-based process for physical and mental health. So the teen book explains the principles at a different level. So a lot of, a lot of people start there. Um, people who love to dig in and read, you know, a dense book, because the latest edition is quite dense, that's going to give you the, the broadest perspective on it. And the cards... Okay. You know, get them anyway. Maybe when you're reading uh, a chapter in the book and you pull out a few cards from that, it helps solidify it. Okay. And I'm sorry, you probably already said this, but the teen workbook isn't just for teens, correct? Right. It's not okay. just for teens. It's for teens love it because they're hearing that I get them <laughs> when I, in what I've written. And adults love it because it's uh, for, I would say, mm, the majority of my clients with disordered eating, it all began earlier in life. It didn't, you know, it didn't show up yeah. the first time when they're 40. Usually it's usually starting early in life. So yes, it's for everyone. Okay, great. Well, Elise, thank you so, so much for being with us today. We appreciate it. And we've learned so much, even in this little, you know, 45 minute segment, we appreciate your time very much. Well, 
Thank you. Thank you. Anytime I get to talk about what I love, that's great. So thank you. Yeah. Now, real quick, is there, where should our, do you have an Instagram? I know I've looked at your Instagram. Um, Where should people find you? All right. I have an Instagram, but I have to say social media, I didn't grow up with. So I'm not real good at it, but sometimes I post things and uh, I'll repost things. So it's Adelise Resch. And I do have a lot of followers, so I guess people like it. And uh, I have my own personal website, which is EliseResch.com. Lots of personal information on there, not inappropriately personal, but, you know, things. uh, I have a list of of books, you know, books that I recommend. I have words of wisdom in there. I have a little history of intuitive meanings. And then I have links to many of the podcasts I've done and talks and things like that. And then, of course, there's the Intuitive Eating website, which is uh, intuitiveeating.org. And that uh, lists a lot of the studies and some other information. And I'm also occasionally on Twitter and occasionally on Facebook, but not very often. I'd rather read and do my jigsaw puzzle than stay on social media. So Good for you. We are with you. Yeah. Mostly. <laughs> We're working. I'm working on getting with you. <laughs> Listen, I, I I have to say, I typed my master's thesis on a typewriter with whiteout. So oh, that wow. was well before there were any computers, personal computers. So <laughs> I'm actually pretty proud of myself that I can even navigate a little bit of social media. So Yeah, I mean, it's hard even for me. I can't. Ugh. Yeah, I get anxious around it, though. And I've, you know, essentially grown up with it. So thank you, Elise. We appreciate your time so very much. You're welcome. We'll be in touch, I'm sure. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. What an amazing interview. Love her so much. And I can't believe, just so our listeners are not aware of this, we had, of course, as always, some technical issues at the beginning. And Elise Resch called me. She actually dialed my phone number. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'm swooning. All right. uh, Mom wins in favorite new products or recipes. A little lame, uh, but I found some Pyrex glass storage containers on Amazon. And what I like about them is that they don't have like the wing snappy things that, do you know what I'm talking about? Like yes. some of those have, and there's like food and junk that gets caught in them or the little wingy mm. breaks that I yes. don't like those. They the never seem clean to me. I don't, I just don't like them. So these Pyrex ones have like just colored tight fitting like I wouldn't put soup maybe in there and jostle it all around but I do really like these containers so I will link them in this in the show notes I've been on okay. on the prowl for some some glass storage containers and I really like oh. these yeah I'd like to get rid of all my plastic storage containers slowly but surely I'm doing that all right so mine's also sort of lame but <laughs> neither of us have a food here but that's okay uh Paige got a gift card to is it Athleta or Athleta I don't know I've Athleta. heard it both ways Okay, thank you. That's what I say. But some people I've heard say Athleta. I think Athleta makes a lot more sense. But she's been really into their patterned leggings, of course, for kids. And they're just the cutest thing. The price tag is not so cute. But they are adorable. That was my question. Okay, what kind of price tag are we talking about? (sighs) Okay, so size seven, you know, leggings with a nice cute little pattern, about $45 to $60. I know. And in truth, I could just bring her to Old Navy and get that same pair for probably $25. So truthfully, the only reason I I brought her there was because she had a gift card. And I do like the quality of of Athleta. But Mm -hmm. that being said, I have some clothes from Old Navy that I've had for six years that are still fine. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Hey, if it works (laughs) and they're cute, go for it. And the the store is just, you just feel, I don't know, you feel cool going in there. So (laughs) that sounds so lame, but it's true. I love the store. All right. So we got a review. Don't act surprised, Gina. We slate. August was an awesome month for us. So thank you, listeners. Thank you for your reviews. Thank you for listening. We bared our souls and we're vulnerable and you are loving us. So thank you. Yes, we appreciate it. Of course. This is from (laughs) Kylara P. I hope I typed that in right, but I think it's Kylara. I look forward to listening to Dietitian's Dish each week. It's a great podcast for any mom who cares about any type of family wellness at all 
While I'm personally interested in nutrition, I'm not a dietitian, nor do you even have to care much about nutrition to enjoy this podcast. So true. Gina and Nicole are smart women, and I enjoy their banter, stories, and helpful tips along the way. Ladies, thank you so much for your podcast. I hope the episodes keep coming. What a great review. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. So coming up on September 19th, we will be dishing about all the things we said we would never do as parents or feed our children as parents, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but actually have ended up doing and feeding our children. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram and check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, everyone, until next time, be well. And Nicole, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.